I'm Dr. Mark Lewis, the Executive Director of NDIA's Emerging Technologies Institute, and welcome to another edition of Emerging Technology Horizons. Um, today, we're going to revisit one of my very favorite subjects, which is hypersonics. And in particular, we'll talk a little bit about some of the challenges remaining, maybe discuss a little bit of the progress steps that we can take to move the United States faster in hypersonics. And joining me for that discussion is John Otto, who is a Senior Director uh, leading Advanced Hypersonic uh, development for Raytheon Missiles and Defense. Um, John has had a very long and distinguished career in aerospace, 25 plus years at Raytheon. Um, so he really brings incredible expertise to this issue of hypersonic weapons. Um, John's got an educational background that includes a bachelor's degree from Cornell University, uh, graduate studies at, uh, at University of Illinois, and he even has an MBA from uh, Arizona, which he, he picked up along the way, I understand, in, in lieu of a PhD. So John, thank you Thank you, first of all, thank you so much for, for joining us for, for, for this edition of the podcast. Oh, thanks, Mark. appreciate you having me on. I look forward to the discussion. Hey, so I, I want to start off. I mean, there's, there's obviously a, a, lot of, a lot of talk about the importance of hypersonics. Um, there was a roundtable discussion that the Secretary of Defense hosted uh, in the Pentagon uh, a number of weeks ago with uh, uh, corporate leadership to emphasize the importance of hypersonics. Um, almost, almost everywhere I think you go now in the Pentagon, people are talking about hypersonics. And so it's, it's obviously, so that's, I think, all good news because people are understanding the importance, not just the threat that we're facing from peer competitors, but the fact that hypersonics is an important future capability. And there are a couple of issues that have come up with hypersonics. And, and if we can, I, I, in the course of this discussion, I'd, I'd like to explore them. So, so I, I want to start off, can we talk a little bit about how we how we harness creativity to drive the development uh, derive the drive de I'm going to say that again. Can we talk about how we can harness creativity in respect to driving development programs that lead to deployment of actual hypersonic systems? What is the right approach? Should we be employing prototype systems? How do, are there ways to avoid going down paths where redesign would be required? We focus on prototype systems. What are your thoughts about how we do this to get hypersonics into the hands of the warfighter as quickly as possible? Yeah, I think there's a couple areas where we can really focus on, Mark, you know, and, and going back to what uh, the Secretary of Defense did with the, the CEOs, bringing them in for that roundtable discussion. You know, there's things on the digital engineering side where we can continue to get better at, you know, the use of modeling and SIM. First time we're really going through some of these uh, flight tests with, with some of these systems, obviously. So there's there's some learning there, but that's going to be something I think that really helps us accelerate as our models become more advanced and they really become more designed and uh, oriented and more predictive of how we're going to be able to fly. You know, being able to leverage that that digital twin is going to be something that helps us go faster. You know, and you hit on something I think that's really important when you you talk about prototype system design versus demonstrator design. That's that's a key differentiator in terms of your ability to get something out into the field quickly. If you start with the end in mind, the system you're ultimately going to get out into the field, and you use that to drive the development of, of your demonstration system, then I think you're going to be you're going to be much better off. You're not going to have to change as much uh, going from the demonstration to getting something out in the field. And that's all time and dollars. And that's something that the customer really is interested in. And we've got to be able to do Yeah, that. I agree. And I, you know, I'm, my hat's off to Raytheon, frankly. I, I think you, you know, the outsider's perspective is you've, you, 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 you clearly take that approach in, in the various programs that you're, you're pursuing. 
and and it shows in in the some of the successes that you, you've already demonstrated. Hey, I, I'd love to I'd love to hit on the the, the issue of digital engineering. Um, could you tell us a little bit about what sort of investments are required? Do you how do you get to an integrated approach, and, and how do you leverage modeling and simulation in digital engineering? So, you know, it, the the investments that that are uh, you know, required. There's some infrastructure that has to be put in place. Yeah, I think we've we've become more digital as time has gone on, just through the natural course of events. You know, we've 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 learned you know a long time ago that having good models is is good, but now it's it's expanding beyond just you know kind of the engineering models, but all throughout the entire chain of the development cycle, right? So it includes the supply chain side of things, uh, in addition to um, excuse me, in addition to working on the on the technical side of things. So you really just want to kind of broaden it out, so you've got a big a much more connected uh, development environment or ecosystem that you're, you're operating in. Yeah, but you know, it's, it's really putting that infrastructure in place. And, and you know, I think there's, um, you know, as we become more advanced in these things, I, th I think there's there's also the the way you train engineers and the way you bring them about. You know, I think as you know, you talked about me being in the industry for you know 25 years. The, the way we do things today is very much different than it was when I first you know, joined the company. And I think you know, continuing to take advantage of those advances, and and as we work with uh, the universities as, as as part of what we do, I think we have an opportunity to really influence the next generation of engineers, so they can continue to take, you know, the digital aspect of what we're doing and drive it further. Because you know, the, the better off we are um, from a digital perspective, I think the quicker we're gonna be able to get things out of. So let me let me ask the, the skeptical question that I I often get about digital engineering, which is. Well, is it really just fancy CAD CAM, or is it is it something more? So can you tell us how you use it at right end? I'm assuming it's something more. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's something more. I mean, it, it really is, you know, it's a design tool, you know, is where it kind of starts. It, it's not just CAD and CAM, but it's, it's really taking an integrated approach to looking at the aero, the thermal, the structural, and all the disciplines that go into developing a system. You know, I think when you're talking about anything that's really high speed, you have by its nature a very integrated design. So your tool set's going to have to be integrated as well. Otherwise, you know, it, it, it's just kind of a piecemeal approach to development, and, and there's going to be a lot of back and forth in that kind of a design cycle, and that's going to take time and money. And nobody really wants to see that. So you really have to to, to draw all the aspects together, and, and your, your your digital approach has got to be mimicking what you're system is going to be from an integrating integration perspective. I, I, I've argued myself that a hypersonic vehicle is probably the, the most fully integrated aerospace system that I can conceive of. And so so you know, it obviously makes sense that, that digital tools are, are valuable in, in, in accomplishing that level of integration. How do, how do you validate digital engineering? Well, you still have to go back and test, right? You know, you, you still you can't get away from that. You know, as you're doing it the first time around, you know, you have to go in and, and you have to be able to gather the data. You have to and you have to compare it to what you what you saw when you were doing your predictions, and then you know if, if it doesn't match, then you got to go in, you got to relook at your models, and you got to you got to tweak them until you get that match. And then, you know, as you become much more confident uh, in your tools, then you can start you know winnowing away at the testing that's really required, and you can you know rely on the digital aspect of it more than you could before. So I know um, you, you mentioned working with universities, and of course the department is investing very heavily in universities. And I, I can think of, again, no area quite like hypersonics where we're still trying to resolve some of the fundamental science. You know, when do boundary layers transition? 
what's the effect of chemistry? You know, questions we answered long ago in other flight regimes we're still wrestling with. Um, is is Ray, Raytheon also working along those lines? Is that, is that something that you're focused on? Yeah, we are. You know, I think anytime you get involved uh, with universities or, or other groups and you can start drawing more people into the conversation, the better off you're going to be. It, it, you know, the difference in perspective that you get um, from people who work and, and do things in a different environment than you on an everyday basis is, is definitely helpful. Um, you know, in the universities, they really do a good job you know, looking at the fundamental research side of things and, you know, being able to see how that gets developed and, and you can take a lot of things away from that. In addition to you, you start working with the next generation of, you know, of engineers that are going to take over what we're doing today and, and, you know, hopefully drive it even further beyond, you know, where we're at today. So you, you get that real good interaction where they, you know, get to see a little bit about what industry does. We get to see a little bit about what they do. And I think, it, it, you know, that, that partnership, I think, is going to be good for everybody going forward. So that's a good lead into the, you know, issue of, of workforce development. First, how are we doing in the hypersonic workforce? Do we, are we, do we still have a, uh, an, an, an unmet need for, for talent in the field? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, you kind of hit it on the head, you know, when you said that there's more and more talk about hypersonic systems right. and you know that's going to drive more and more demand for those systems you know we hope and then so you know you're going to have to be able to fill that need with the engineers you know coming in behind it i think you know there are some fairly specialized you, you hit on a number of things you know that are fairly specialized with respect to, to hypersonic systems but also there's a lot of other pieces that go into the systems we develop and you know there's there's a lot of engineers that can be tapped from and pulled into the hypersonic arena and they can, you know, help us push the design forward in, in those areas too. So, you know, we, we, we have to keep our eye on the ball with what we're doing with uh, the engineering workforce going forward, because as these systems proliferate more, you know, we, we got to make sure we can meet the demand on the engineering side. I, good news. I've, I've, again, and I, I've often said that nothing is more exciting to a new aerospace engineer than hypersonic flight. I mean, it is faster. It is higher. It is pushing the edge. It is pushing the envelope. So, so um, you know, there's there's a reason the new Top Gun movie has a hypersonic airplane in it. So, but but having said that, what what approaches are you taking? How are how are you how are you helping working with universities? Are are you are you thinking in terms of academic partnerships or supporting STEM education in some way? Yeah. So you know we. <clears throat> You know, being in Tucson, we've got the University of Arizona in our backyard, and you know we're we're tied with them on on the development of of uh, uh, some of their facilities. Mm -hmm. um, we've we've worked hand in hand with them to try to get some facilities funded, like wind tunnel facilities and things like that. And those those things will will definitely be useful to uh, the the students at that university. Also, as uh, part of the uh, the JHTO office in the consortium, there you know we're involved uh, with a number of projects. Um, uh, as, as part of that effort, and that that allows us to reach an even broader set of universities. So that's that's the that. the university can, uh, concerning for advanced yeah, hypersonics. Yeah. Yep. yep, yep, yeah. So we're 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 involved in that, and you know through through that effort, there's there's several projects, and so a lot of those things really get at you know answering some of the the tough questions you know that we're going to face going forward, and, and you know really starting to peel the the layers back on some of the challenging problems we're going to have to face going forward with these kinds of systems. So, so do you have Raytheon engineers working hand in hand with faculty and students directly or? We, we do. Yeah, we, we do. You know, we've got a, an organization that's basically set up to interface with that consortium. 
And then as part of their effort, you know, they, they tie in with the universities, we write the proposals, we, we team up there. And then, you know, as the projects come in, you know, we're also involved in, in how those projects go forward. And, you know, some of our, you know, we, we try to bring, you know, a bit of, 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 um, of the industri industrial perspective to those projects, right? So we want to kind of shape them, make sure that they're going in a direction that we think is, is really going to be helpful to our systems going forward. And then, you know, again, through that interaction, you, you get to see a lot more about what they do and, um, you know, working with those universities and the students, it's really a good partnership to try to you know, keep the pipeline going. It's also got to be exciting for them that they know that they're working on real systems, that they're working on things that are actually going to wind up in, you know, in flight, in, in products. Yeah, you know, when I was in grad school, I don't know if, if you had this similar experience, but, you know, I was, I was funded through industry when I was doing my graduate work, and it was just always a fun thing whenever they, uh, the, the contractor came to visit us. And, you know, you get a chance to talk to them and, you know, just kind of pick their brain about what really bothered them and what they were focused on. And, I, you know, we're trying to give that same experience to the students today. Yeah, I, I actually, I was also part of my graduate funding was from industry. And, yeah. and you're exactly right. It was, it was actually was the early days of the NASP program. So, oh, really? which, of course, never got built, but we sure learned a lot. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, having, having the industrial, you know, uh, perspective of this is what we're concerned about. These are the issues we need to solve was 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 for me was 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 fascinating and motivating so really good yeah I mean, it really is you know as a student you, you're, you're kind of focused on kind of what's in front of you and and you, you just don't have that perspective and uh and so the more we can you know engage and, and share the, that information with people i think the better yeah, off we're no be. absolutely absolutely hey you you know in, in discussing your university work you mentioned building wind tunnels and 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 I, I know in the past we've talked about uh, the U.S.'s test capability in hypersonics. Um, first, give me give me your assessment as someone, you know, uh, as a leader in industry. Where are we right now as a nation in, in our hypersonic test infrastructure? Yeah, you know, we've got some great facilities out there, Mark. You know that we can do some some really wonderful things with. But quite frankly, it's, you know, the facilities are in a little bit of short supply. Um, they're really being tapped, which is a good thing, right? Because we, we need to do the work there. Uh, if we had more, could we use them? <laughs> yeah. You bet we could, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. it, would, it yeah. wouldn't be hard to, to fill up, you know, if we had more capacity yeah. there. So so what's, what's the solution? Do we need to be building more wind tunnels, expanding capability of existing facilities, all of the above? It's, it's probably a little bit of all of the above. You know, I, I think the... The more facilities we have, have I think the better off we're going to be. It's 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 one of those things where, um, you, you know how valuable it is when you can't get to it, yeah. right? Yeah. And and you know you don't want to have to face a delay or, or something along those lines because you can't get in and get through a test. Now, through digital engineering, I think we'll be able to also ease that somewhat. But again, when you're doing new developments and, and you're basing new systems based on you know what can be somewhat unproven technology, you still have to go through and you have to do those tests and you have to learn that way. And so, you know, there's still going to be a, a demand for it. And as we increase and proliferate these types of systems, I think that demand is going to increase. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um, any any uh, any anecdotes where you really wish you'd had more wind? tunnel capability available for a program or anything you <laughs> well, I, work, I work with engineers there's never enough test time right okay okay <laughs> you yeah. know but no, yeah we, we we've always looked at, at you know 
getting into the tunnel and, and learning as much as we can every time we get in there. So it's always about trying to maximize, um, you know, the time that you have there and, and, and making sure you're not, you know, missing something uh, because getting back in isn't always the easiest thing to do. Right. So you run a test, you see something interesting, you say, wait, we want to do that one more test. Yeah. Sorry, you're, you're out of luck. Yeah. But yeah. you've also got to be prepared for those types of things. You got to really think your way through the test and say, okay, this could happen or that could happen. So are you, are you prepared to be able to branch off one direction or another if, uh, if the opportunity arises? I mean, you always, you, I'm sure you've done this yeah. a, a number of yeah. times too. It's just sometimes you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. You know, I mean, you have an idea, but you don't know exactly how it's going to turn out. So you, you're learning on the fly and your ability to react to that in a quick fashion it really helps you maximize the value of the test. Yeah, I'd even argue that the reason you do the test is because you don't know exactly what's going to happen. If you knew exactly what was going to happen, you wouldn't need to do the test. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, sometimes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, sometimes it's the easiest way to figure something out too, right? Yeah. You know, so, you, especially so if you're trying to develop. What a about flight test? Ability. How do we how do we stand in regard to uh, our flight test capabilities? Um, obviously, we always want to see more, but is 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 what's our well, how would you rank our current state right now? Um, I, I think it's kind of in a similar situation with, with some of the other test facilities. There, there's an awful lot of tests going on out there and there's, there's only so many resources. And so, um, you know, trying to prioritize those is, is something I think that's a big job and, and you're trying to make sure that you're balancing, you know, it, it's a tough job for, for the folks that are doing it because you're trying to balance what you need to do from an operational perspective today versus the development that you're trying to, to put in place for tomorrow's systems. So, you know, it's, it's always a bit of a, it's always a bit of a battle to try to get in there and test and, and, you know, make sure that you're testing when you need to, and that it's, it's not kind of, uh, you know, what's limiting your ability to get stuff out. Yeah. And you're not just competing with hypersonic systems on the test range. You're competing with so many other programs. Yeah. No, you, you absolutely are. I mean, everybody wants to test. It's, it's kind of that graduation exercise when you get out there for the, for the flight test. So I personally kind of long for the days of the X 15 when we could fly every 18 days and you could fly and test. And if it didn't work, you flew it again. You figured out what went wrong. (laughs) If if only we could get back to that sort of mindset. Yep. No, that would be a wonderful thing. That'd be a great situation to be in. Yeah. I, I once got myself in trouble with the, uh, with, with the museum director for suggesting that, hey, maybe we pull one of the X-15s out of, out of the museum and start flying it again. And that, that didn't go over very well. It seemed like a perfect, perfectly reasonable prospect to me. So, yeah. so you know, we, we've obviously, you know, hypersonics is, you know, we've, we've got some international competition. There's been a lot said and written about Russia and China. And, you know, they haven't been shy about, about uh, bragging about their capabilities. Russia most recently in Ukraine and, you know, China and their military parades. But there are also international friends that we work with and partnerships. Could, could you say a little bit about, you know, your, your feelings on allied collaboration and partnership? Is it essential? Is it useful? Is it necessary? Yeah. You know, I think, I think one of the things that we, we see is, is, you know, the warfighter, you know, pushing for more coalition, coalition warfare you know, opportunities. So I think that's something that, you know, it, you know really that's going to be driven by, you know, what the warfighter wants to do and how they want to, to, to prosecute the missions. But I think that's something that we have to be aware of and uh, we have to you know, be able to support the directions that they want to go. So it's important, if it's important for them, then it's also important for us to be able to, to help them you know, meet their objectives. It, plus, I, I, you know, I, I'd argue, I, I, first I've always said, you know, the United States has only about, you know, 4% of the world's population. So it, 
arguably we've only got roughly 4% of the smart people in the world, right? Yeah. And, and hypersonics is an area we, we've had some, some really great, um, you know, international partnerships. Australia immediately comes to mind, some other countries that we've been working with. So let me, if I, if I could then, you know, the Department of Defense has signaled this desire to, to deliver hypersonics at scale. And I think if there's anything that Raytheon knows how to do, it's how to yeah. deliver weapons at scale. Um, you've, you've been in this business for a while. What, what steps would you like to see us take to actually deliver hypersonic capabilities? Not, not onesies, twosies, not you know a flight test here, a flight test there, but, but actually deliver useful hypersonic weapons in the numbers that will make a difference to our warfighters. Yeah, I think there's, there's a number of things that, that can be done there. I think what we really want to try to do is, you know, going back to um, you know, your discussion about focusing on prototypes, I, I think that's really important. We've got to make sure that we're, we're doing um, development in a way that allows us to get out into the field yeah. quickly versus, you know, maybe demonstrating something and then having to go back and redesign the system in order to get it out there. Um, you know, I think that the other piece of it is, is you know, there's got to be a commitment to, to really being able to, to field these types of systems. And I think, you know, we're, we're, we're really seeing that now, right? And I think, you know, um, we're, you know, you said we've got, you know, 4% of the, the smart people. We've got an awful lot of smart people in this country. It, it's, not that we, it's not that we can't do these things. It's, I don't think we've really committed to doing it. We sure do. And we I sure think, do. You know, when you look at what you're seeing in the budgets and, and what, what people are saying, you know, you're starting to see that commitment come through. And as long as we follow through on that commitment, I think we'll be able to do what the warfighter needs. Yeah. No, I, I actually think we have more than 4% of the smart people. But, but what I actually think we really have are the truly yeah. innovative thinkers and you know, I, I, I'll make the claim, I, I honestly haven't seen any foreign system that made me step back and say, oh, I never thought of that, or our folks never thought of that. Um, so far, everything I've seen has been pretty yeah. derivative. No, I think, I think you're right. I, and I, I, I agree with you. I, I work with a lot of wonderful people um, that are you know, highly talented and very skilled in what they do. And, and that's one of the things I really like about my job. So, so let me, let me ask, what, in the realm of hypersonics, what keeps you awake at night? What do you worry about the most? Uh, that's a really good question. You know, I, I think, you know, I think we've got to kind of hit this. Uh, there, there is no one thing that really keeps me awake at night. You know, I think what we do is really challenging. And, and you know, you, you've hit on some of the things that we have to be able to do in order to make our system successful. It's, you know, how do you, how do you continue to, to develop things quickly uh, and you have to do it in the environment that we're in today. So there's, there's going to be challenges with your test facilities. Mm -hmm. you know, you've, you've also got to make sure that you've got the right people in place to do the job. And, you know, you've got to be able to couple those things um, and get them going in the right direction in an environment where you're still learning a lot. You know, so uh, as you go and you, you continue to push these systems forward and you, and you learn, you, you've got to be able to adapt and you've got to you know, be able to adjust to what you learn and you got to be able to do it quickly. I think so it's, it's, it's all those things that, you know, they all have to fit together to make a system come about. And, and so, you know, you know, there's, there's really no one thing that, that, that keeps me up at night. It's, it's the whole, it's, it's, it's everything you need to do to get a system you know, put in place. It, it's, you know, yeah, it's all very integrated, as you were saying earlier. It's not just the systems, but your your simulation capability and your your workforce and everything has got to be very integrated. Well, John, I, I know uh, 
I know you and your team have had some notable successes recently, so you are making it happen. So, so thank, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what your team is doing. Um, and thank you for your thank time you. today. I really enjoyed the conversation. Obviously, you know, hi, hypersonics, as you know, is a favorite, is a favorite topic. And it's, it's just rewarding to see the progress that, that Raytheon and, and, and other companies are making in this area. Yeah, no, I, thank you. I appreciate the time, Mark. You know, we've got a lot of great people working on this problem. And, you know, when you can, you can see a success, you know, it just makes everybody feel good and want to do and makes them want to do more. So yeah. appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you again for joining us on this episode.